Welcome, I'm Doug Morgan, and you're listening to Uncommon Sense, where we hunt for the truth in the topics you're not supposed to talk about, Christianity and politics. One of my favorite pastimes is called disc golf, not ball golf, but disc golf, where some would call a Frisbee is thrown into a basket. (laughs) I have been playing it for a number of years now. And besides getting me out and about and exercising in the great outdoors, it also scratches that competitive itch that I often get. <laughs> I am, I'm a member of the PDGA, or the Professional Disc Golf Association, and recently I had a top five finish in my division in Idaho's top tournament, the Farragut Open. I also have five daughters and have supported and coached many different girls' sports teams. So this trend to allow biological males to compete in women's sports has had me really greatly concerned. These two worlds have crashed together recently with the PDGA, and and I think it illustrates what's going on in other sports as well. So Jonathan Kay of the uh, Quillette.com wrote just a few days ago this, this really great article, and he starts out by saying, for female professional disc golfers, The July 29th through 31st Discraft Great Lakes Open, or DGLO, in in Milford, Michigan, represented a watershed marking the first time in the young sports history that an elite series tournament offered women the same first place prize money as men. It should have been a great moment, one of the female competitors uh, told him once the the crowd had gone home. But then the thing ended and the winners weren't a male and a female. It was basically two males. By this, the woman was referring to male star Calvin Heimberg, who, who won what is formerly called the open division, but which in practice is 100% male. (laughs) And the female division winner, Natalie Ryan, a trans woman who's been playing disc golf tournaments for only three years. Despite this lack of experience, Ryan already is starting to make history something, uh, victory, something of a habit. Winning not only the DGLO, but also a second elite event in Leicester, Massachusetts this past weekend. As a result, Ryan is now ranked as one of the world's top five female classified disc golfers. The first prize, uh, place prizes at the DGLO was $6,000. Hardly a, a bonanza by the standards of professional sports, but for disc golf's Turing women, many of whom have spent a decade or more on the road trying to scratch out a living as a full-time athlete, it's, it's a huge amount of money. Quote, the current female tour only came on the scene in 2016, as, as well-known, this, this well-known pro female told, told him. There's, there'd been a, a, a major going on since 2000, but In those days, even most of the top professionals had side jobs. The men's game was probably economically viable as a full-time occupation early in 
no, 2010s. But the women's game wasn't really viable until a few years ago. So yeah, the timing of this is interesting. It's just all too convenient that now is when trans women decide to jump in and make a splash, unquote. Ryan is not the first openly transgender disc golfer to compete in the Professional Disc Golf Association event, uh, a, a distinction claimed by Massachusetts trans woman named Kelly Jenkins. Nor is Ryan the first openly trans disc golfer to win a prominent event, a distinction that belongs to Dutch player Laura Nagatalgal. Uh, and in, in both 2021 and 2022, the PDGA Masters World FP50 Championship for women aged 50 and over went to a trans woman named Nova Pol- uh, Politi who is 6'4", by the way, (laughs) self-describes as the tallest female disc golfer in the world. But Ryan's victory was different because DGLO is such an important tournament. Thanks to its elite series classification within the Disc Golf Pro Tour, it ranks as one of the few events that allows top players to compete for an annual tour championship, which in turn yields higher payouts and more prominent media opportunities. Among the the tight-knit touring group of about three dozen top female players, concerns about about male-bodied disc golfers once remained largely confined to private conversations, as most were anxious to protect the feelings of trans players and avoid offending uh, corporate sponsors. But Ryan's DGPT victories seem to have prodded some of these women to become more vocal. This month, two of them, whom I'll refer to as Jane and Mary in in, in what we we report on now, uh, spoke to Quintet or um, Quillette on condition of anonymity. Until recently, disc golf occupied something of a ambiguous place in the sporting hierarchy, halfway between niche hipster hobby and a mass participation activity. But the sport positively exploded during the uh, COVID years when otherwise housebound athletes found themselves looking for something new to do with their time and energy. And the the boom has has done much to bring disc golf into the mainstream. The game is simple. It's cheap. It's safe. It's it's fun. Basically regular golf, but with discs and baskets instead of balls and holes. And for many, it's proven equally fun to watch uh, someone play. Uh, major U.S. tournaments sometimes attract tens of thousands of fans. The, the sport has also developed a rich internet subculture, including a $99 per year subscription-based broadcast called Disc Golf Network. A, a statement on transgender athletes and community guidelines was put out by this pro golf tour earlier this year, indicating that the PGPT recognizes the validity of the transgender experience and supports the decisions made by any members of the disc golf community who live their life in the most authentic way possible, unquote. Meanwhile, industry publications such as Release Point have covered the issue of 
gender largely through pride-themed homages to trans disc golfers. In, in early 2021, the PDGA event support and training manager named Mike Sullivan authored a long Twitter thread in which he assured everyone that, quote, women's dis, uh, divisions are not in danger of being dominated by, uh, by, by whatsoever South Park satire version of transgender women you might be concerned about, unquote, and warned that those voicing concerns had been swayed by people with bad intentions, such as podcaster Joe Rogan. Yet, the PDGA's own reported data suggests that performance differences between males and females are stark. In the Advanced Amateur Division, a classification that is technically open to, to all amateur players, but which is almost entirely male, players typically are capable of throwing a maximum distance of between about 300 feet and 450 feet. In the case of advanced women, on the other hand, the corresponding figures are a third lower, 200 feet to 300 feet. The world record for the longest disc throw by a man is over 1,100 feet. For female players, the record is 569 feet. And it is worth noting that Ryan, the, the female tour's only trans player, also happened to win Disc Golf's 2021 U.S. Distance Championship in the female category, with a throw of 458 feet. Nor is the male-bodied advantage in disc golf confined to, to full-throttle open field drives. According to Jane and Mary, the disparity uh, also manifests itself on densely wooded holes, which sometimes require players to you know, confort their bodies in awkward positions while shooting around trees and from a standing uh, position. Quote, I would say that one of the biggest advantages of the male-bodied player is their ability to scramble in tight situations when a disc goes off the fairway, to just stand there and blast a shot through the woods, Mary tells him. I've seen both trans player Chloe Alice, Chloe Alice and Natalie Ryan do this. They're just standing still and throw the kind of forehand shot that I've never seen a female throw ever under perfect conditions. What makes it worse is that Ryan's form isn't even good, says Jane. If, if it were, she'd be out throwing us even more. So while the rest of us spend years refining our form, trying to keep up and, and get more distance, She's been in the sport for only, what, three years or something? And she's already said publicly, oh, I've got my own form down. I don't need to practice that. Not, none of this should come as a surprise to anyone who studied male-female differences in other sports that involve throwing. On August 2nd, days after Ryan won the female division at DGLO, the Disc Golf Pro Tour put out a statement titled DGPT, reiterates statement on PDGA transgender competition policies, noting, somewhat euphemistically, an increase in the volume of questions and feedback from the disc golf community on the topic of gender-based divisions and fair play. I bet. 
<laughs> and it emphasizing that Ryan and the tour itself are simply going by po- the policies set down by the PDGA. Policies that permit biologically male players to compete as females, so long as they bring their blood testosterone levels down below a maximum level. The problem as critics of male-bodied participation in female sports often have pointed out, is that academic reviews of uh, musculoskeletal changes in in trans uh, trans women have shown that the strength loss associated with post-pubescent testosterone reduction regimes is small. And so the trans strength advantage over biologically female competitors persists. As, dis- as, as we've already discussed, more, moreover, there seems to be some confusion about whether the PDGA is enforcing even those loose standards. Tennessee-based player Jennifer Castro, who competes in the Amateur Masters Women Plus 40 category, says that I personally know of women who refuse to sign up for events if a transgender is playing. Because, you know, not because we hate them but because we feel we have zero chance. So what is the point of wasting our money on registration fees? In late August, Castro became so exasperated by the PDGA's permissive stance that she mounted a sort of sting operation, presenting herself anonymously to the organization as a transgender woman seeking to compete in a female category. After Castro's inquiry was was uh, routed to the PGA's medical committee, outgoing board member and five-time women's open world champion, Elaine King, wrote back stating that the medical proof was purely voluntary and not required. Hmm. In the days since, Castro has gone on a very public Facebook campaign citing King's message as evidence that, except in cases where a player who's already listed as male seeks to change status to a female, transgenders don't need to submit anything up front. The PDGA is just talking and, and, and taking their words, uh, their, their word that they meet the criteria medically. Castro also has linked... Uh, to a, a TikTok video by trans female competitor Chloe Alice, whose confession on Instagram to neglecting to take the, the prescribed testosterone uh, uh, suppressing pretty pills, um, as Alice describes them, uh, for days at a time. Castro believes that she's that she'll pay a price for speaking out, but told uh, this particular interviewer during a, a recent phone call that she doesn't care. I I don't play at the pro level. So it's not like my livelihood is on the line, Castro told me. Unlike the the pro women, I can speak my mind and say what they what they'd be saying if they felt they could. At a recent Nashville tournament, Castro reports her sponsor a a small local company called um Momentary Bliss Discs politely suggested that she take a less hostile approach to her anti-PDGA commentary. Castor refused, and the partnership has ended. According to four-term PDGA Board of Directors member Wilbur Wallace, 
uh, it is almost certain that this topic, by which he means trans women competing in um, protected female disc golf categories, will be discussed at length at the upcoming PDGA Fall Summit. And he has asked that interested members submit scientific studies <laughs> for the consideration by the PDGA's newly formed medical subcommittee on gender-based divisions to review. It is possible that the, the process that Wallace outlines will end with the PDGA taking steps to exclude natural males um, from you know, protected female categories. Much as the controversial participation of trans uh, NCA swimmer Leah Thomas in female races caused a reckoning within that sport, so might you know Ryan's triumphs spark a similar reckoning in disc golf. On the other hand, because disc golf is relatively young and until recently obscure pursuit, those scientific studies, so-called scientific studies, Wallace is looking for are in short supply. In this regard, it's worth noting that the seven-person PDGA Board of Directors includes uh, the aforementioned Laura Nagtalgal, the, the, the uh, transgender woman who self-describes on the PGA's website as a volunteer counselor for gender questioning and transgender folks, active both on an uh, activistic and philosophical level in advocating for diversity, equity, and inclusion. In 2019, shortly after transitioning to a female self-identification, Nagdatal entered the Amateur Master Women's 40-plus World Championships and won by 21 strokes in a field of 17 players. According to King... She also runs a closed Facebook discussion group for transgender women disc golfers. Another board member is Leah uh, Tisagini, whose uh, who, who list priorities include expanded disc golf appeal to people identifying as LGBTQ+, and the other five members are all men. According to one source I spoke with, several board members are sympathetic with the complaints of women who want male bodied ex bodies exclu excluded uh, from protected female categories, but they also feel reluctant to act unless their stance is publicly supported by a critical mass of high-profile players. For their part, on the other hand, many top players reportedly don't feel they can provide that public support until the board signals clearly that plain talk about male and female biology won't be denounced as transphobic. It's a collective action problem, in other words. According to Jane and Mary, about 80% of the women on tour oppose, yes, 80% oppose the inclusion of male-bodied players in female dis, uh, divisions, a figure that's admittedly impossible for anyone to confirm, but no one in this majority group wants to be among the first to come out and come forward for fear of being labeled as a bigot. Therefore, and thereby allowing the other 20% to hold sway. There are no, numerous biological women 
who see the presence of trans women as more than just a competitive and, and financial threat, but also a source of, of on-field social and, and psychological tension. Quote, my experience is that about half of the trans women are really fun to play with, Jane tells him. With the other half, they have this really obvious masculine energy. And so you're constantly being reminded that you're basically playing with an amateur level male. It's gotten to the point that even the players that I personally like who are, who are transgender, I can't watch them play. I don't watch them throw. I don't watch, watch them putt. The, the sight of it reminds me that I'm in an unfair situation and it makes it hard for me to remain and maintain my mental game. I'm just constantly thinking about, you know, wow, she shouldn't be able to throw that far because that's really bad form. But it went 400 feet. <laughs> Quote, I've been playing sports since I, since I was in kindergarten, Mary says. I was always small, but I didn't care what the sport was. I would take on any girl, any woman, but then with this thing that's happening now, it's different. No matter how I work out, that'll never be enough to have the physical advantages of a person who's a male and can be strong without going to the gym. Almost everyone acknowledges that trans women have at least some physical advantages over their biological female competitors. The question comes down to whether those female competitors should be forced to accommodate male body bodies as the price of inclusion. Jane, Mary, and Castro argue that the answer comes down to the science and the reality of human biology. Their opponents say that it comes down to the active sounding moral uh, imperatives such as recognizing the validity of the transgender experience and giving trans individuals the comfort to be who they are on and off the fairway every day of their lives. This kind of battle is, is playing out in dozens of sports and has been for years, really. But disc golf provides an especially interesting case study because Ryan's sudden Ascent has caused years worth of female concerns to spill out in a compressed time period. The regulatory environment has also become a lot more fluid of late, giving women hope that things might change. The PGA has a long-term goal of getting disc golf admitted into the as, a, as an Olympic sport. And since 2010, PDGA rules on trans participation have tracked the pronouncements of the International Olympic Committee, including the IOC's 2015 standards, which established the maximum testosterone standard for trans women. But in 2021, following the controversy surrounding the appearance of middle-aged trans female weightlifter Laura Hubbard uh, on the uh, at the Tokyo Games, the IOC created a new guidelines that allow each sport and its governing body to determine how an athlete may be at a disproportionate advantage against their peers, taking into consideration the nature of each sport. 
This means that the PDGA is now at liberty to go the way of world rugby, which recently declared flat out that transgender women may not currently play women's rugby. Though the, the violent nature of the game arguably makes it a special case, but the, the international governing body for swimming, for instance, which recently barred swimmers who experienced any part of, the male, of male puberty from women's events. The, the disc golf case study is also informative in the way that it lays bare the different motivations of powerful actors within the sports overall community. According to industry uh, estimates, females account for just 20% of elite players and about 14% of active competitive players at all levels. For many years, groups such as Sarah Nicholson's Throw Pink have sought to recruit women into the game. It's an obvious you know, growth opportunity for the sport. And so one might think that female concerns would rank high on the PGA agenda. Quote, I actually had a candid conversation with my sponsor the other day for an hour about this issue, Mary told me. And toward the end, I said, you know, if I can just be as, as honest and blunt as possible, I think the situation is disrespectful because no man will ever understand or know what it's like to be a woman. Like other players, including one who who showed me a long set of text messages with her sponsor, Mary says that she got a fair hearing. But in the end, she still wasn't given permission to go public with her concerns, unless it was done in concert with a critical mass of other tour players. Again, the collective action problem rears its ugly head. Both Jane and Mary report uh, receiving private messages of support from male colleagues. But in those cases where male disc golfers speak out publicly, it's more likely to be in the service of transgender rights. Castro's Facebook, for instance, has has been regularly trolled by a, a male player named Sam Gibson, a progressive activist known for his participation in the Occupy Portland movement. Uh, I am told that there um, that there is a a petition that'll soon uh, be making the rounds among touring female players, finally putting a public rec- on public record a majority opinion that, till now, the women have largely confined to private conversations. What remains to be seen is whether PDGA officials faced with such a document will respect the validity and the authenticity of the biological female experience. I, I see, I bring this to you today on this podcast because it is a, a shining example of what is happening all over women's sports, not, not just within disc golf. This is happening all over. As, as I was saying earlier, it, it, it's, it's happened in swimming. Uh, it's, it's happening in weightlifting. It's happened, I mean, through the Olympics to the point where the Olympics has had to refine their policy on these things. This is, this is for years, for years, women have been trying to um, have their day in, in, in sports. I can, I can remember a conversation with my mom where she said that when she played basketball in high school, and this is a number of years ago. I'm not going to say how many because you might get on my case. But she she could not cross half court 
when she was playing as a, a, a women's basketball because they thought that women couldn't run the whole court, that it wasn't good for them, that they had to either play on the offensive side of the court or the defensive side. Women's sports have come a very long way. And all of this is being dismantled now. Biological men are playing against biological females, and it's unfair. It's unfair. And this will be an end to women's sports if allowed to continue. The PDGA has come down with a new policy recently, and, and I think this is, this is very interesting. They, they know they're in the wrong. This new policy says that if you are caught on social media expressing your opinion, to their, their transgender policy and, and you're in opposition to it, that they can remove, remove you as a member. If, this is effectively trying to stifle open and honest communication. I mean, what, th- this is trying to stifle First Amendment type of rights. They don't want you talking about this. They don't want me talking about this. They don't want anyone else talking about this unless they agree with this policy that allows biological men to compete against biological women. I myself have never bowed to the bullying tactics of leftists and in, in, in my effort to tell the truth. And I will tell you right now, I'm not going to start now. And you may agree with that stance. You may disagree with that stance. I would definitely love to hear from you. And you can always do that at UncommonSensePodcast.com. Thank you very much for listening. This podcast is a production of Morganite Communications.